You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello and welcome to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. My name is Amanda Dale, and with me in the studio is Simonetta Mignano. Hi, Simonetta. Hi. If it's your first time listening to Togetherings today, welcome. Togetherings are conversations presented in series of three episodes, and each series focuses on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. Today, we have the first conversation of a series on intersectional indigenous identities, which has been created in collaboration with Native Movement. In today's episode, we're going to look at rural and urban life. Simonetta, could you tell us a little about Native Movement, if there are listeners who don't know about them? Yes, Native Movement is our partner for this conversation series, and they're an organization dedicated to building people power toward healthy, sustainable, just communities for all. Native Movement supports grassroots-led projects that disseminate oppressive systems for all, uh, dismantle, sorry, oppressive systems for all, and that endeavor to ensure social justice, indigenous people's rights, and the rights of Mother Earth. Before we start, let's take a moment to acknowledge where we are. We are at KONR LP Anchorage, our North Studio in Anchorage, on the traditional land of the Denaina people. I'm really excited on that note to introduce our two guests who will help us open up and deepen this conversation. With us today, we have Cordelia Kelly and we have New Talk. Cordelia Kelly is in Nupak from the North Slope, was raised in Wasilla, and has spent time in communities across the state while now living in Anchorage. Cordelia's essays and work examine what culture is, traits of dominant culture, and how they compare and contrast with her own Alaska Native culture as well as grassroots language revitalization. Her work can be found on CordeliaWrites.com. And Cordelia, is there anything you might like to add to your introduction? I think that about covers it. Really happy to be here and happy to have a conversation with my elder and you talk and to also listen and, and learn from her. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. Nutak is an Anupak mother who loves her five children, 14 grandchildren, one great-grandchild, and who's excited about another great-grandchild on the way. My goodness, congratulations, grandchildren, one great-grandchild. And who's excited about another great-grandchild on the way. My goodness, congratulations to you. <laughs> Nutak loves Mother Earth and saving indigenous languages. And Nutak, is there anything you'd like to add as well to your intro? Um, no, <laughs> you got it. Um, <laughs> My mind's a blank right now. <laughs> we'll all ease into the conversation together. <laughs> we're, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining. We would love to start the conversation by learning a little more about your connections to this topic, urban and rural life. Uh, New Talk, could we start with you maybe finding out a little about what, what do urban and rural mean to you? And, and maybe how do those spaces feel differently for you? Oh, there's big differences. I grew up uh, in in a, in the village of Utkarvik, mm-hmm. formerly known as Barrow. There was uh, maybe 500 people when I was uh, a little girl. And walking around the village, you could see in 90% of the homes, a kayak. Um, either up on the um, rafts or propped up by the side of the house Hmm. because these were needed. We didn't need cars. Um, In the village, we had paths that we walked everywhere. But for hunting in the ocean, our hunters needed their kayak. And so that's what I saw a lot when I was growing up. Every, every house had their dock teams, and you had to be careful walking around that that <laughs> um, you didn't, you know, uh, end up um, in between two dogs. And um, there was big families, big families. The the biggest one that I know of had nineteen. My my childhood mm-hmm. girlfriend Jenny was the oldest of nineteen, and in my family we had 13 
and we were nomadic. You know, after my mom passed away, our uh, six children, we, we went to um, family members. I went to my grandmother, my uh, maternal grandmother, Nida Angupkana. And every summer, she and the whole family would go down uh, about 15 miles, I think, down south and be there the whole summer hunting and gathering. And um, everybody walked. Uh, the language that I grew up with, everybody spoke in a bit. Um, the old ways, uh, some of the old ways that I didn't grow up with so much was the chin tattoos. When I saw a painting that my, my dad did of his grandmother with the chin tattoo, I was 10 years old. Didn't realize as I gazed at that painting how much I wanted one. And 60 years later, I finally got my chin tattoo. That was during ICC here in Utkavik, right in the same land. Uh, I was living in Fairbanks, uh, going to UAF at the time, retired and went back to school and came up here for, uh, through Native Movement. Uh, for ICC and found out they were uh, one of the things they were doing was um, having tattoos and um, Heather from Nome did mine and I'm so ever so grateful that um, I have that done I grew up with um, uh, close neighbors with a powerful woman who was a shapeshifter after I grew up, uh, I had heard stories of Nuyai. And after I grew up, I asked my stepmom about her. And she said she could change into a grizzly. She could change into an akhlaq. Um, I grew up with that. When I moved to the, to, uh, in eighth grade, our School went, uh, Molly Hooch hadn't happened yet. And for eighth grade, um, along with uh, most of my classmates, I went to Wrangell, to Wrangell Institute. And, and then a uh, year after that, to Sitka for high school. And I saw the ground covered. I mean, I walk outside from when we had a chance to go watch a movie downtown. I walked outside and I remember stopping in my tracks when I was walking out of the movie theater. There was the sidewalk, there, there was the road, and across there, there was more asphalt. The, the ground was just covered. And I, I loved walking on the ground, on, on the bare ground. And, and to have this asphalt, that's when I started having varicose veins on my legs was from walking on mm -hmm. asphalt mm -hmm. was so much. And things didn't seem natural. The language, you know, I, I have a story about my sister. My sister was the first one, Leona, to, to go to boarding school. And the first time she heard the phrase, you're something else, you know, that thing is going around nation, nationwide, right? Something else. Well, this is a, a story about something else. She, my sister couldn't wait to use that phrase. She thought it was so cool. <laughs> and and her roommate was Anisha. Anisha Yukaluk. I never forgot that name. And and the first time my sister had a chance to use that, she forgot. She forgot the phrase. And so she said, Anisha, you're another thing. <laughs> <laughs> so when she told her husband that story, every once in a while, he'd say, Leona, you're another thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we, we didn't know. We didn't know how to speak. English when we started school, when, when I started kindergarten, I had to learn. Um, and we would pretend to, to speak English when we got home. 
And I remember my sister going, Kitty. She thought she was speaking English. <laughs> so um, that, that was the language we heard all the time when we were kids. And, and to be punished for speaking the language uh, was another thing. We're so honored to have you here, Newtak, and thank you for, for starting us off with some of these recollections. And I, Cordelia, I've seen you nodding as you're listening to some of this and, and also knowing you are from a different generation, right, than Newtak. And so how, what comes to mind for you when you are first thinking of, of urban and rural and, and maybe the differences you feel there? Well, i so honored to hear Newtak sharing your story and spending time with you. So kind of I really appreciate spending this time listening and learning from you. So growing up, I was raised in Wasilla. I was born in Anchorage. And so it was also bringing to mind some of my own recollections of what that experience was like. And I think one word that comes to mind as an overall theme in a way that kind of that does contrast with what you were sharing, you talked is, um, the word is like being is intentionality. So like being intentional. That was a theme that we had growing up was being very intentional with any opportunity to connect with our community and connect with our culture. So new talk you're sharing about an experience of being immersed. And my experience was one of growing up and being raised and striving to seek out those opportunities for connection. And Really, the example set to me by my mother, Patik Aggie, Agnes Talbert Kelly, was that she was highly intentional with us as, as children, making sure that we had every opportunity possible to connect with our relatives and our family members. So what that looked like is um, my appa and my akka, my grandparents, they lived down downtown and 3rd Avenue, just a couple blocks mm -hmm. from the old Alaska Native Medical Center. And so... We spent so much time there growing up. And that for us was the cultural hub of being with our relatives, anybody who came into town from the North Slope, who like knew my op and Aka passed through their apartment. So being there as a little kid, that was my cultural hub and my cultural center of experiencing food, experiencing language, hearing music from the North Slope, like, you know, gospel songs from the North Slope and any back having you know the taste of all of our foods in my mouth since I was a baby and just being loved up and knowing my relatives my annas my tatas and cousins there and then another way is that anytime any relative came from the north slope to the hospital or came to town for shopping my mom was very intentional about taking us out of school. <laughs> and so we had missed a lot of school um and that was something my teachers didn't understand sometimes but it when mom was like okay you're on a helen and a tata rossman are going to come down for shopping or they're coming down for a meeting or they're coming down for you know hospital checkout so all right here we go pile up in the car and go to anchorage and spend time so i spent a lot of time at the hospital we weren't sick ever but we were there all the time <laughs> because that was where we were gathering we we're you know eating fry bread in the cafeteria we were sitting in the lobby we were listening to music we were praying with one another and that intentionality was a, a very strong theme growing up and being raised in Wasilla and Dana'ina lands and with that, I would say um, also AFN was another opportunity. So once AFN came around, we were out of school like the whole week. Like we would come for elders and youth and we would listen to the conversations and then for AFN. And that was just a week that we that our teachers could expect that we were just going to be out. Like other students went on like vacations, so we were out for AFN because that's when we would see everyone. And my mother, again, so intentional like every single relative this is your Anna this is your Tata they're cousins with this person and making sure that I knew and that we knew our relatives so that was my experience um, from birth to becoming an adult and then the first time I ever went to the North Slope I was 21 years old I was interning with Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, my regional corporation. There was an opportunity to help out 
um, at the ASRC booth at the Arctic Education Foundation Fourth of July Summer Games, and so I was able to go and volunteer and and help. That was the very first time I ever went. And then when I was 22, working at the ASRC, there was an opportunity to do a community project in Wainwright, which is the village that my mom is from, my family's from. So as a, only eight years ago, going up to the North Slope to my family's village for the very first time, and that was really incredible. I got to spend two weeks in Wainwright. And I will always remember like what that was like, because there I was seeing my relatives, my Anna's and my Atata's, not in a hospital or like in a restaurant, but in their own homes and their own community. And time and time again, I had so many relatives that told me like, welcome home. Like, welcome home. I'd never been there before, but welcome home because that which is in me is from there. And that's where my relatives are buried. My oppas, my akas, and annas, and adatas are all there. So that was really incredibly impactful um, experience. And so, and since then, I've had the pleasure of being able to go back for um, many, many, many times. But I think that something I will say in terms of identity, and maybe we'll get to this later, but I want to make sure to mention it now, was that um, because when I was working as a young person, working in offices for the first time and freshly in the workplace, you know, my mother had been the one that really connected us and really knew everyone through her. But once I became a young professional, I was really showing up as myself, presenting as an Inupiaq woman, uh, myself in my own right. And time and time again, the message wasn't what I was or what my experience was. It was hearing over and over everything that I was not, you know, because I had not had, um, I was not raised on the North Slope, or I'd never been up there or whatnot. And everything else, it wasn't, it wasn't really of much interest. And so it was highly, um, highly invalidating <laughs> experience. And it was really my first exposure to microaggressions and the types of messages that really can seek to invalidate our communities and peoples and ways um, because so much of us is based in relationship. And so what really helped me um, move on from that period of my life and from the pain that that experience caused was realizing where those messages came from. Those messages were not coming from my relatives. They were not coming from my own people. And knowing that when I went to Wainwright, my relatives were telling me, welcome home, because again, that which is in me is from there. That was incredibly, incredibly formative. So, To both of you now, I'm wondering what feels different for you when you are on the land of your family and your ancestors in, in your body or in your, your heart or your mind? Um, can you speak a little to the difference between being on that land and being somewhere else, you know, whether it's Sitka or, or Anchorage? There's peace. Hmm. A lot of peace. No racism. Uh, I didn't experience racism until um, I was an adult already, and I, w I started living in Fairbanks. And that is where I experienced uh, a, a different um, action from people because of what I look like. And and that was that was a rude awakening. And I would have um, become racist. I, I would have done counter racism, but I knew I knew a person here growing up who was a white man and, and he was kind and he was very gentle. And he loved uh, he loved us all. And so I told myself, they're not all like that. And so I'm glad um, I, I had that experience to bounce back on. But being on the land is like such a breath of fresh air. Uh, I remember when, when my dad, uh, my dad was a Presbyterian minister 
and when he started becoming a preacher, he thought that preachers didn't get uh, vacations. And when he found out that <laughs> he could have a month-long vacation, um, <laughs> he built he built a boat. He built himself a boat, oh. and he started taking us, uh, the whole family, um, towards the east. We would get on that boat right down here on the ocean and go up north and go around the bend and go east and go up the rivers and and camp and hunt and i remember uh there was one of the places that we stopped oh my dad would take uh, the whole family uh, for two to three weeks and and camp up there then come back and put all the caribou and the fish in the cirlioc, the the underground freezer and then take the boys and do some serious hunting. And I loved to camp so much. I was a teenager then that I, I begged my dad to let me come. And he said, okay, you can be the camera person. You can be the cameraman, he said. So he let me use his Minolta camera and I took pictures. and. I, I remember when we went up um, one of the rivers and we saw uh, something that I would not normally see up inland, railroad tracks hmm. leading from the, the, the river's edge up to um, uh, one of the houses, one of the buildings. There was um, two or three buildings. One a home, and the other a shed, and another one, a smaller, maybe another shed. But we got up, and I had the camera with me, and I saw a little fox, uh, uh, a toddler fox, because I called it a toddler <laughs> fox, but he was a small, you know, a baby. And he ran away, this fox ran towards the shed, and ran in and just dove in between the cracks on 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 the wooden slab that was um, like like uh, a step up to the door of the shed. And I stood right there with my feet in between the crack where the little fox went, with my camera ready. And I waited and waited. And waited, and then finally, he stuck his head out, or she, and looked up at me. And I was looking through the camera, and I froze. <laughs> and that fox was gone before I could press the shutter. <laughs> I, um, I had a wonderful, wonderful time. I love being up there on the land. It is so clean. Um, well, it was so clean. Um, with Pruda Bay there, there's, uh, well, something else. Um, the smell of the, the isolated individual smell of the, the feel for the Evan root, for the, you know, I've never forgotten that, that individual smell nowadays you smell gas all the time it's just part of life you know there's hundreds of cars out there hundreds of uh, things run by motor but that individual smell I, I i will always remember that being out in the country is such a safe place to be so when i'm in the city I, I, my sister, Leona, was always my mentor. She told me once that I can have an animal spirit. I can pick any animal for my spirit. And I picked the nanook, the polar bear. And so when I'm in the city, 
and and I have to walk um, where it's kind of dangerous. I imagine my nanook right by me when I'm walking. Um, and imagine that if there's someone or some bodies who, who want to do me harm, maybe they'll see that there's that nanook which can shapeshift and be any anything that it wants those dangerous people to see. And it makes me feel safe. So that's how I cope out there. I see you, uh, Cordelia, thinking and processing some of this. Yeah, everything that New Talk said um, about the land is similar to how I feel when I'm in our communities and have the opportunities to be at camp or to be outside of the village or to get on a Honda with the cousin and, and to go out and be up, you know, all hours or, or late at night. And the way that it feels, it's like, it's like your spirit is filled. I think about the very, some of the very best nights and the very best, best days of my life have been out on the land with our community members. Like, and I feel like some of the moments that I felt the most alive and like most filled with just the majesty of the land um, have been when I'm in our communities. Like I have very specific days that were just some of the best days of my life and like going out with my uncle in Point Hope on a Honda and he's sharing about the land on an absolutely perfect day. And this one time going on a walk with a few friends and walking um, a couple of miles or a few miles outside of Adiktuvik Pass in the Brooks Range. And it's like 1.30 in the morning and it's just one of the most gorgeous places and one of the most gorgeous days of summer. And just the what that, what the land is like, the beauty of the land and some of my most favorite, favorite days. It's just, it's just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. The light, what's one of my favorite things is the light in August and September and September light at like 1245 in the morning. And it just does something to the grass in Wainwright. And it, it looks like the grass is glowing from the inside out. Mm. It's just the most beautiful light I have ever seen anywhere. Just it's golden, beautiful, just the the land, like the grass just glitters. And in Wainwright, there is more more grass. That, there's just grass that covers the the Nuna and and just being out at Nunariak, which is just outside of Wainwright. It's another one of our settlements where there's the sod houses and there's um the whalebone arch and, you know, in Calvin, there's a whalebone arch and it's a kind of a famous, famous photo spot. And it's like where you go and you go and visit. And I absolutely adore those arches in um, Nunariak because they exist for ourselves. Like they were there put up by any people for us, you know, and it's a place that we can go as any back people. And I think those moments are just some of the very best, most special days. And um, the and also being able to have those experiences, but then also remember what it was like to be there for the very first time. And like that feeling of connection will always be clear because going to Calvary for the very first time, there were so many things that I thought were just my family that suddenly I'm in a community and you realize like, oh no, this is everybody. This It's just everyone, like everyone is like this. Cause again, growing up, I, I knew our family and I knew my relatives and I thought these were all family traits. And they're like, no, these are people traits of this is being, being Inupak. And then you're walking around and you're like, whoa, you see like, your sister's, you know, elbow on someone else and you see like your mother, like the nape of her <laughs> neck on another person and you see like, you're like, it's just that sense of familiarity of like, 
you are part of this huge web of other people and and the connection to the land. And then when I'm sitting, you know, Wainwright, alone is the name for Wainwright, and it means land that slopes into the sea. And my daughter's house is pretty close to to the water. And so you sit like on this bluff that kind of slopes down to the ocean at 12.45 in the morning and kind of what I call like this golden hour and just realizing like, my goodness, there is no before. Like my people have been here on this land. Like this is the source. Like you have so many other people, other Americans who, you know, have to go very, very, very long distances and cross the continent to go to where there was no before for their people. And I'm exactly where there is no before. And the people before them and the people before them like originated here. Like this is the start. And I get to put my feet on the land that mm. is exactly where my people are from. My specific Wainwright Utakalmu, you know, Alora people. As you both were speaking, I was uh, wondering uh, if there are any differences in the way you find connection with the land when you're in an urban setting, whether uh, instead you're in a rural setting. Like, in what ways do you connect with the land in both environments? Uh, it takes some doing. When I, when I lived in Anchorage, I, I would go to that 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 park on Ninth Avenue and walk along there. Living here in Utkavik, um, it, it doesn't take much, like um, just a couple blocks and I'm right there in the open land. That's where I love to walk. When I came back home uh, last May, the, the geese and the ducks the other migratory birds were coming through and walking through that stretch of tundra, walking towards the sea, towards the ocean. All those birds were were singing. It was so wonderful to walk to walk along there. But in the in the living in the city, you have to get in a car if you want to make it out to be in the wilderness. I love walking on the grass. I love Cordelia Kernyak. I love your your how you talked about the grass, how how it glowed. Yes, 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 it does. It's so pure. I would dream when when I was in the city, I would dream of of the time that um that time I was with my dad and my brothers. And we stopped along, along that that stretch of land that's that's between Utkavik and Canada, and we stopped um, there and put up a tent, and and I'd be the first one to wake up, and I and I woke up early one morning, and and the sun, of course, was up. This was summertime. And I sat down on on the beach. It was that that is a memory that I would come to whenever it got so stressful living in the city. I will remember that time of sitting there on that real fine sand and the sun coming down and it's early morning and I'm drawing drawing on the sand like uh, a little girls we used to in Utkarvik. We'd tell stories and, and, and draw pictures on the sand. And I, I sat there by myself, just taking in the peace of being on the land. That is, that is what would contain me and help me through those stressful times. Just being on the land where my ancestors came from, original. And I'd love, yes, I'd love your, I love how you say these things. And oh, your, you, when you talked about your, your Aka, Eva, 
we called each other best friend. We met in Sheldon Jackson High School, boarding school. And she had the most wonderful sense of humor. And that's what I saw in our people was the sense of humor, laughed about everything. And Eva, by by the time um, I, I was back living here in Calvick, she was in Anchorage. And one of the times I went to Anchorage, we were, she was in her wheelchair, motorized wheelchair. You know, she had to have help to get in and out of her wheelchair. And we were going across the street to uh, Michael's, that hobby store. And right across the street, when we got to that, across the street, there in the corner was uh, a, a pile of ground with bushes around it and she she was ahead of me and she went up that little hill where she could topple over on any you know right or left she could topple over she went over that and then back down and I was running to try and keep up with her and when she got back down to the ground I said wow Eva you made it and she kept going with her finger on that power button. She said, just call me Eva Caniva. <laughs> <laughs> Could you, you know that story I told when, yes. when we, we her at her funeral. But she had the most wonderful sense of humor. She laughed at anything. She was so funny. And that's how she dealt with her pain. And I think that's how our people dealt with the pain, you, uh, the, the humor, the being able to laugh at pain. That, that was just powerful. I love her. I miss her. I think I went off the subject, but <laughs> I just love telling this story about Eva how uh, she has to have help in getting in and out of the wheelchair, but she called herself Eva Caniva. <laughs> Some of my first yeah, early memories, again, growing up um, in Wasilla, coming to Anchorage, visiting my relatives, visiting my Aunt Eva, was just actually standing on the back of her electric wheelchair, zooming around the city, and it, just everywhere she went. And as long as she had a fresh battery, she was on the go. She was very pretty yeah. with her wheelchair. So I appreciate you sharing that story and helping keep her memory alive. Queen of New Talk. Thank you. One thing that's uh, striking me in hearing both of you is, you know, we talk about urban and rural, uh, the divide or the gap, or, you know, we've heard today more about the different rhythms of the two spaces, different worlds, really, in many ways. And at the same time, we know that these two worlds coexist in, in so many places and also in so many people, right? And um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this this sharing of space and, and maybe what that looks like or, or feels like or what you have seen in, in your own experience. Cordelia, could I could we start with you? Sure. Something that comes to mind is that um, the any back way of being is portable. <laughs> You don't have, there's no whaling in Anchorage. And, you know, we don't, you know, I don't hunt caribou in my, you know, in my yard on this, you know, urban street. But I, it makes you think more about our Inupiaq values. It makes you think about what does transfer. And that really is woven into our behaviors like how we are, like how we treat each other, what we prioritize. So our values of of respect, like how we show respect and be Inupiaq and how we show our respect in a particular way. And many of our values are absolutely, you know, universal human values, but the way they show up in our communities is specific is specific to us and that's what makes our cultures distinctive it's 
you know, respect is, is universal, but how we show respect and how it comes in our, shows up in our communities is, um, happens in very distinct back ways. And that's something that you can practice anywhere, like how you take care of your elders and your relatives. And that, that specific element is actually, as a child where I kind of got my start in comparing and contrasting, you know, my dad's family from Washington state and my mom's family from the North Slope. It was like when my dad's family came up from Washington state, they wanted to do everything for us. And when my mom's family visited from the North Slope, we were to do everything for them, you know, taking care of them. And so always seeing the different ways of, of respect and caring for family. But that's what really comes to mind are the values and the behaviors and how you treat each other and how you are in you back as, as a person. I wonder, um, how do you hold uh, this dichotomy, both sides of rural and urban experience in your life? How do, you, how do they uh, coexist together for you in your own personal experience? Like for me, um, you see people being, again, being very intentional about creating, you know, spaces that are native spaces that are indigenous ones. Like you see, it's that intentionality then. It's like you see people very intentional about getting out on the land, very intentional about berry picking, intentional about, you know, salmon and, and fishing and what it is that is available to us, very intentional about about gatherings. There's just like an extra, a little bit of an extra layer of effort, but you see people putting in the effort to hold language workshops and sewing workshops and, you know, again, having people come together. So it takes more focus and it takes a bit more, you know, again, intentionality and energy, but you absolutely see people putting in that effort to do so. That's right. That's right. There's lessons. Um, when you're living in the city, you can gather together. Like there's a lot of gatherings at uh, ANMC pre-COVID uh, where people would get together and drum. Oh, I love those times. Mm. Uh, people would get together and sing uh, a lot of gospel songs. When the Yupik uh, drummers started, oh, I love going there and watching watching their their uh, their dances the culture must be kept alive even as you're living in 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 a city the in the village the western culture is still here and we're coexisting and in the city anchorage or fairbanks sitka uh the culture that you grew up with has to be kept alive. And we must, on the language, um, those of us who can speak it, we have to keep speaking it. We have to keep talking. I remember when my, my sister Nellie, uh, she used to translate herself all the time. And, and, um, and a lot of the times when she, when they when there was uh, a group of Inupiat, and if there was one tanik, a person who couldn't understand the language, my sister would start speaking in English. And somebody said, "You're too polite. You're too polite. <laughs> mm. uh, you need you need to keep speaking the mother language. You need to keep speaking Inupiat." And um, that, that's my passion, is, is to keep the language alive. I try to, I'm living here with, um, at my son's house um, with my um, teenage grandson. And, I'm, um, and I realize it takes more time to speak to my grandson in Inupiat, but I will take the time. It's so much easier to say it in English, but I want to take the time to to speak in your pit, and I feel more satisfaction after I'm done. Is this the kind of intentionality, Cordelia, that you talked about earlier? 
Absolutely. It's the same thing. Absolutely. And I think that there's also another important consideration is also being intentional about the respect of the land that you are on and learning what that what that means like to be um someone who has migrated really like also recognizing that I didn't grow up on Inupiaq land but I did grow up on Denneena land and I grew up by Hatcher Pass and in those mountains and what that is and means for Denneena people and so always recognizing that this is still indigenous land this is still native land it's not of my group but I am also Mm -hmm in the territories of the Dena'ina people. We have uh, just a few minutes left in our conversation today, and it's gone by very quickly. I find myself wishing we had a few more hours also to hear more stories um, about relatives and and people who have been dear to both of you. Um, I know one thing I I would like to ask, and maybe it's also a, a good closing note is, if there is a piece of advice you would give to maybe a young person who is coming up against, you know, the, the intersection or collision of these two worlds. And I guess I think of students, you know, who come into Fairbanks or Anchorage to study or maybe a young person in a school in a rural community, but most of their teachers are from outside um, or, you know, ways of, of bumping right up against this. What advice might you give to to young people in those kinds of situations? Follow your heart. Uh, I know that's, you know, uh, a cliche, but your your heart is the one that must lead. And I say that because I spent so much of my life um, when I was still a product of the doctrine of discovery. Um, I, My mind was the one in control. I lived with a lot of fear. And today I choose to live with, um, with faith in myself and in my guardian angel my what I call today my tunwak and some people will say oh no that tunwak is Satan but originally tunwak was the name of our spirit helpers which the missionaries adopted and gave that name as a Inupiaq name for their Satan huh. trust your tunwak Trust your spirit helpers. Follow that little light, even in the dark. Keep on trusting it. I was taking plenty of notes as you're sharing your knowledge with us. I would say you are native no matter what. There's all this conversation about you know, someone being native or not very native or if they're native or it's to me, it's not about if you're native or not, like you are, like you are native, you know, that's just, that's the, that's a starting point. Daily Sambo is the international chair of the Inuit Circumpolar Council and in her 2018 speech to the General Assembly, she said, we need every Inuk and an Inuk is person. Like we need every Inuk. So in my mind, it's not about if you are native or not, you are, because that was predetermined. Like it's not even up to you. You just are like you, but there is so much that you can learn. So that's how I would frame identity is like somebody who's maybe growing up in an urban place and is striving to connect. Like you, you absolutely are, but on top let that be the foundation it's not if but knowing that there is so much that you can learn there's so much cultural knowledge that is available to you it's not if you are native and then you kind of learn these things it's that you are native as your as your first foundation but then there's body of of language you can learn you can learn about sewing you can learn about the land and kind of come into maturity 
in your culture is a way of, I think, a way of framing it and thinking about it. It's a body of knowledge and it's a way of being and you can come into it and grow in maturity over time. And, you know, I will, like, there's so much to learn. There are endless, amazing things to learn. And I will, I've, you know, grew up with what I knew and I've been intentional about learning this past 10 years now that I have adulthood and I will be intentional and I will learn, continue learning for the rest of my life. Cause like I said, there are endless amazing things to learn. I'll always be learning. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, again, I'm whatever my life looks like. I am also always native no matter what. Cordelia, mm. I'm so proud of you. Oh, I can just see your Aka <laughs> smiling. Well, you know, that means a lot. Teku, what an honor to be uh, in, in in this space with you. You too. I feel mm. like it's just you and me, new top. <laughs> <laughs> and Amanda and Simonetta. <laughs> That's enough for me. <laughs> we'll just check this offline. And we'll just keep talking. <laughs> if anyone else wants to tune in, you can't. We're just going to carry oh, no. on with the party. <laughs> oh, yes. That's Eva. <laughs> That's Eva coming out. 